Gary Shop of Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave. Kind of regret eating hard-boiled eggs in my tiny shed. Rupert, and with me is Chris. Comfortable oh, no, in the booth but... I'm sorry. There's just foods you shouldn't eat in your shed, Chris, and it turns out hard-boiled eggs is one of them. Oh, my God. Maybe a few minutes, though. You'll get used to it. You'll get, you know, Stockholm syndrome for your nose. Yeah, yeah. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. (laughs) Okay. Well, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about this week. We'll do some um, questions that readers have sent in. I would implore you to use that button on choptalkshow.com to send in questions. They don't. Uh, they don't have to necessarily be in the format of a question. They could also be, I saw this cool thing and I think you should talk about it. Or here's something interesting I did. You know, so even though it asks you for a question, I don't really care. You can, yeah, it can or be, like, it can be anything. Can you have my boss on the show? That's a common one. <laughs> oh my God. Anything uh, but that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, anyway, we get this. It's a weird one. We get it a lot. And it's like, sometimes it's genuine and sometimes it's just completely like, whatever hustle culture you know and it and it's it's yeah. hard to tell the difference sometimes you know what i mean yes it so. feels disingenuous and then it forces me to use my disingenuous alarm internally and i'm going to always err on because so much of it is actually disingenuous that even the ones that aren't i might might slip in that direction so sorry about that yeah isn't it well, that's like you have to take that posture it's like this is a scam artist trying to do a scam. I, so, yeah, no, no. Even what if was that thing that nice. Zach mentioned in the chat the other day? It was like a crypto thing for open source. It was like, here's a new way to, you know, everybody's trying to fix open source, right? Like, oh, it's so hard for the maintainers, which it totally is. And there's not enough money in it. And how do we get maintain? So this was an interesting one. And it looked interesting, especially because like Syndra was like one of three devs behind it, which gave it some legitimate. But then we were all like looking at the homepage and trying to read it and be like, I literally don't get it. Like I'm in tech. I do some open source stuff. I even have some crypto, believe it or not. And I read and I just don't get it. Yeah. Well, it was like 20 different projects, cool projects, React and what, you know. Well, Levity, of course. That's why I was asking you about it top tier top shelf projects had 3223 every single one had like dev coin and whatever that dev coin equals $17,000 or something like that and i just i just was like and you didn't blame Zach because he's like, is there seventeen? is there $17,000 sitting on a shelf that i can just take if i sign up for this thing Right. You know, I think that's Which, what he yeah, was. That's a lot of open source bucks. But I think it was predicated on the this new. It didn't really say that it was, but is it? I think it's a new coin that they're minting. A new coin that they're minting. Yeah, I don't know. And then how's that minted? I don't know anything. Is it really? And how do you know it's worth seventeen thousand dollars? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I just and so my why we brought that up is my disingenuous alarm goes blaring. Like mm-hmm. if I mm-hmm. if. If I if I have all these alarms, I'm not. I've learned as an adult to not ignore the alarms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're yeah, alarms for a reason. Sorry, I don't even remember the name of the thing. I'll try to put it in the show notes, but I don't guarantee it. All right, uh, you know, here's I wanted to ask you. I'm going to 
derail us, you know? We'll oh, get to let's some questions. Go. Yeah, we got we're a question and answer podcast, but not this week. <laughs> That's good. Um well, it's kind of about pattern libraries and and design systems and that type of stuff, right? Because I, I, yes. I, I've been working on it more and more for us because we've, at CodePen, have moved to this mono repo thing. And one of the reasons of move, moving to a mono repo is we have different code bases, you know, that we deploy to kind of different places. And that's kind of on purpose and it's been kind of fun. And then the the point is, what can you share in the mono repo? Mono repos are about sharing across code bases. Mm -hmm. So one of the things is a pattern library. Like we should put our tabs in there because then project A, B, and C can all use those tabs and isn't that efficient, right? And the answer is yes, it totally is efficient and a very good way to work, right? But that component library has opinions of its own. How are they built? How do you import them? What framework is being used and that kind of stuff. And the fact that that's around makes me feel very opinionated about how they're used in there. And it's just, it's just got me thinking a little bit like I needed tabs and you have some stuff to say about tabs, I think, because you've been doing work with this community group on getting a little further with tabs. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. I could give you the whole skinny on that, but I, cause I kind of have questions for uh, you. Let's about do that, it. Anyway, let's do you first. Cause I want to see where this goes with tabs. Um, okay. So tabs, right. We just landed a whole new research document. We've been going through like dozens and dozens of design systems, even like historical, like going back to 2004 where Hixie, Ian Hickson proposed tabs in like a, a forum, you know, or in the, the mailing list, you know, like the idea of tabs on the web has been around. Like that's like HTML five days, you know, planning out HTML five. It didn't make it. Never did. Yeah. Okay. And so we've been like looking at all these tabs and how different places do it. But the the latest kind of research doc that we kind of put together um, was there, there's sort of like five different ways to, I should pull this up, not just riff, but there's sort of like five different ways people are doing tabs and the it gets gets more micro nuanced from there like mini features like select boxes in tabs or close buttons and tabs and stuff like that you know um but like mm-hmm. the the design of them usually it's usually i could even like get it down to maybe like four so different designs so it's like the five element concept like a very explicit like this is a tab set this is a tab bar this is a tab. That's three elements, right? Yep. And then you have like panel sets and that's the div that wraps all the panels. And then you have each panel has a panel tag. And so that's oh, like, the that's the fifth one. I was element. like, I could name you four, but that's what I was missing was the one that wraps the panels. I feel like that's not always there. Right. Sometimes that's it's not just... always there. Yeah. So that's like the very explicit gives you all the styling hooks that you need, right? There's pros and cons to each of these. And then you go into a four one and maybe you don't, yeah, you just pop out the, the, the panel wrapper, right? And so panels just kind of live as children, sort of like a detailed element or something, you know, anything that's not in the tab bar is a panel, right? Uh, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of how jQuery UI did it and stuff like that. Um, and then there's kind of the three element option, right? Which is sort of like you have a tabs wrapper, right? And then you have, and then each 
each button or each tab is in a tab an element. A and then, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, I mean, you'd probably just write a tab element and then that turns into a button actually. And then, mm-hmm. uh, and then it goes to the panel, like, and then there's a panel element, tab panel or something. That's what Arya yeah. calls it. Three is pretty, you could pull it off with three probably. You yeah. could pull it off with three. There's actually a two, right? Or really? like where there's a tab set element, right? And or tabs element. I'll just call it tab set just so we're all clear, right? Um, and then you have a tab element in there, but you have like tab label equals home and then all the panel content inside the div, right? Or inside the tab element. So like that's the two element. But but when you start looking at that one, you start seeing the problems. You're like, oh well, how that that label doesn't exist anywhere in the content, right? Like, so it's, it's just kind of like, it's almost like a placeholder. It never gets read by the screen reader unless the thing fires and, and creates the tabs. And so, uh, and it wouldn't get translated by Google translate and stuff like that. So there's like kind of like problems with stuffing the label in an attribute. Um, and then there's sort of weird, like why try to be minimalist about this? Right, right. Like it's, it's, I think it's, it looks really good. I think I, (laughs) if I could like, like which one's beautiful, this is the beautiful one to me, but, but then there's the, well, it's just, but the, the functional problems are too much. Like, like the Google translate thing is sort of an issue, you know, like, but maybe the output would be Google translate. I don't know. Anyway, um, but then there's this idea that we're kind of sort of coalescing around um, is the idea of a one element. Like you just wrap tab set around a bunch of content. So like a heading, heading div, heading div, heading div. And that way it can, it basically is like a spicy section that kind of progressively enhances your content. Oh, okay. So... And does that cover all the UI patterns that you've found? It, so it does like in yeah. the, you know, and, and there's sort of like a lift, like landing three elements is like a, a bit of an issue. I think it's kind of in my brain between like the three element and the one element sort of thing. Um, the three element is really explicit and it's what you sort of expect if you like read Aria, you know, it's like there's a tab and then it you click the tab button and then it goes and opens the panel. However, right. if, progressive enhancement fails a browser that doesn't have uh like tabs or whatever fails you just you know the screen reader would be like button 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 then it would just read content and that has like no meaning it's sort of this table of contents pattern um that has no meaning to the assistive technology it's only when it's enhanced and has like all the the stuff yeah unless it's an a and then it does doesn't it an a yeah it it does but the the like you know in a screen reader you rarely ever are navigating through like a linear flow does that make sense so like you would maybe just skip the a and the a is not like you'd i see like you you'd skip the a the list of a tags and you'd get to the panel content and just be like what is the how did what's this about because it's just panel 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 yeah it's just unlabeled panels right so like the idea of like heading panel heading panel sort of gives you like this 
content structure that then gets like enhanced into tabs. Right. So, yeah. And then when you like sort of look at tabs, right, like a, a row of bricks going horizontally across the screen. That's what we sort of visualize when we say tabs, even like now Firefox redesigned yeah. their tabs, right? This tabs. week. And people are like, they are not tabs because the content doesn't touch the thing, you know, but like, mm-hmm. that was me semantically they're tabs. Okay. <laughs> but the yeah. visually they, they do not maybe meet the requirements of tabs. Um, like when you sort of understand the underlying technology, a tab is really just an interface that shows one a, a grouped interface that shows one piece of content inside of it, right? Right. Another example of that is a one item, like a, a one item accordion, an exclusive accordion. Um, so you can have like a, a different presentation of tabs would be like a one item accordion. And you actually see this in like responsive patterns like Brad Frost collected a long time ago. Like that's like one pattern. You have a tab or a, a vertical accordion that shows one item, then gets converted into tabs, right? Um, so that's sure. sort of another consideration. Like, how does this work responsively and stuff like that? So, like, um, so there's are sort of people, like this. Are you thinking you could use details internally? Probably I mean, not, huh? Maybe. you could, you could totally do that, but details sort of has like its own little just micro baggage you know like the the thing about details is like it eats the headings and stuff like that but um that's pretty bad just yeah i mean it's bad if you browse by headings (laughs) Um, and so uh so so there's a so there's this just this idea that maybe we can have these spicy sections and and then these sections sort of uh transmogrify and and kind of you know almost like I hate to use this analogy too because it maybe has feels from people, but like input type equals text or something. So you could do like spicy section or whatever (laughs) spicy panel uh, type equals accordion or spicy panel type equals, you know, tabs, you know, and maybe like we can through one element, we can kind of get a bunch of different interfaces out of it. So I don't yeah. know. How does that sit with you? Is that good, bad, ugly, Chris? What do you think? Oh, I, I'm just being exposed to this thinking for the first time, and it feels good, I guess, you know? Okay, okay. Like, I like the, I like the idea, because you're, you're focusing on that pre-JavaScript thing, right? That, like, what mm-hmm. if JavaScript doesn't run at all, or what about SSR or whatever, right? Like, that this content needs to be super semantic to begin with, and if the content never changed from what it is when you're just marking it up, that that's fine. That it's, like, good, it's fine, semantically solid content. And then the web component boots up and does whatever turns it into a bunch of buttons and you click the buttons and reveal the panels and yada yada right yeah yeah i mean that's important stuff what's kind of neat about this is or at least i think so if you wanted that two element one that i like that's just like tab label you could write author that in view and then your view code just has to shadow dom or, or whatever view view out your view component just has to write out the the like heading structure and the panel structure that the native tabs element could like then intercept so like it doesn't limit you from the thing you like or like the explicit way you like to write it or author it like 
we just now have a way to express it in HTML. So yeah, I don't know. Anyway, that's tabs. <laughs> well, and this is and and you, but you're also your goal here is like we're trying to cow path out a little bit or whatever, like what this would be like if HTML picked it up, right? Like this is great as a web component too. Maybe it will always be a mm-hmm. web component, but wouldn't it yeah. be cool? Isn't part of the goal here like to maybe convince HTML to do this? Yes. And there are people from browsers involved. So, it, you know, yeah. so it does seem like a possibility. I mean, it's very like within the realm of what we can do, but, but you kind of get in this place where if you make it too complicated, like, you know, you're never going to appease everybody, right? Like, Google Docs is going to show up and be like, what about, you know, the plus button to generate your own tabs and the thing. And it's like, you know, you've maybe graduated to a point where you need to code your own tabs interface. You know what I mean? So, um, so we're just kind of like trying, we're never going to make everyone happy, but I think we can get to a point where like, we're all, I don't know, like you have to build in just enough flexibility and then just enough, like, like, sort of purpose this episode is brought to you by Dexsecure, a company that saves developers time by automating mundane tasks that you all hate to do but have to do images javascript css html fonts and third-party assets Dexsecure does the optimization with just one line of code and you can focus on what you love doing building new and exciting websites and it's super easy to implement. Just one line of code needed for integration, or they've got a plugin if you're using WordPress. No matter the device or browser type, Dexsecure will always have the best version of your website. You can visit dexsecure.com slash shoptalkpodcast. That's D-E-X-E-C-U-R-E dot com slash shoptalkpodcast for one month free when you sign up for any basic or pro plan, or try it out for free with their free account. Our thanks to Dexsecure for sponsoring this episode of Shop Talk Show. Well, look at what I just sent you then. So this is there, you know, so I'm, I got started talking about component libraries and design systems and stuff, right? And then we have the mono repo and we have the thing. We needed a tabs component in there. Now we already have tabs on the site in a number of places. And this was an opportunity to hone them in, make it a standard library component, make sure everywhere on the site is not a particularly hard job, I don't think, you know. Mm-hmm. But for mm-hmm. us, this is let's, um, you know, start from scratch here, you know, like let's let's define the API of what we want and make sure it works for us, you know, and have the different variations that we need and all that stuff. And let's probably not write them by hand for us. Well, at least yeah, let's yeah, yeah. look a lot at other stuff out there because we know that tabs are hard, you know, like they should be buttons and they should be activatable by pressing the enter key, but you should also use the arrow keys to get between them and stuff like that. Like if we do it ourselves, are we going to remember or prioritize arrow key pressing? Like maybe Mm -hmm. not, you know, Mm -hmm. but maybe we could reach for an existing solution that has arrow key handling built into them. Now, an example of that is React tabs. And so there's these ones that I'm specifically mentioning are in the React repo. Like, they're the tabs from the React team, 
right? Yeah. So these are like battle-tested right? tabs. Well, sure. I mean, are they? Probably. I don't know. I didn't, <laughs> unfortunately, get them totally vouched. But in looking at them, they do look pretty good. They do have that kind of keyboard handling and focus stuff and yada, yada. So I'm looking at these. I'm like, well, let me base ours off these for now. You know, like this isn't even on production yet. It's just like part of our library, whatever. I moved them over into our component library because I couldn't just use them off the shelf. I couldn't just import it from theirs because they're first, they're, I don't know, they're have opinions that ours thing doesn't have. It uses a class, class names library that isn't the one we use. So all of a sudden we'd be bundling two class name libraries. Is that a big deal? No, but it is to me, you know, like I think that Mm -hmm. stuff is obnoxious and they are written as, class components, not functional components like the rest of our library. And if we just pull them from NPM, then we have no control. Like, And it was styled weird. We style our stuff with CSS modules. They didn't. They just import a raw vanilla style sheet to do their stuff. It didn't offer the same kind of control that I would want to have because every other element in our entire design system library offers that control. Why have one new one that just doesn't? You know, like I'm not cool with that. So I port these over. What would you call these looking at the JSX implementation of them? A four? A four this element? Would be like a four element thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It could be three. Like you could automatic automate the like tab list. The tab so list has, probably. The imports are import tab, tabs, tab list, tab, tab panel. So it has four yeah, components. it just doesn't so have like, a tab panel wrapper, whereas the tabs do for some reason. That would be that would be the five, yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, and I liked it made sense to me because I don't even mind tab list, because tab list conceptually in my brain is where I put border bottom two picks solid white. You know, like I put some mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like a you were saying it's a row of bricks or a bar or something. That matches with our design aesthetic of like a row of links at the top and some panels below it and there's a separator in between and the tab list gives me that clean opportunity to do that. Definitely. And not to but, mention I can break <laughs> off the CSS for each one of these four things. Yeah. But if you wanted to like flip this into a you know a, a an accordion this kind of this pattern doesn't work for you, right? Because all the tab, the bricks are grouped at the top. So totally doesn't doesn't work for that. It. Yeah, I don't. Do we need to do that? I don't know. Maybe we just make another library component that does that instead. I'm just talking about brass tacks, like day to day reality of of using this yeah, kind yeah. of thing. I think our usage is slightly different than the meetings you are in, where you're trying to solve it for the whole internet. We're trying to solve it for one website. I don't know feels a little different. So what pad what's the problems? Uh, I don't know that there is any dramatic problems other than now we're broken off from development of these. If they ship a new version of it, I've rewritten these. So I can't use their improvements, you know? I'd oh, have so, to figure out what they did and port over the changes. So what do you somehow. have to do specifically to switch it up? I I get maybe you described it, but like you had to like reclass it and re well, yeah, I mean, like, I rewrote them in functional components instead of class components, which was oh, okay. uh, not that bad, actually. 
you know, okay. I don't know if you like okay. dig into your, and I know you don't write a ton of React, but it really wasn't that bad. Like they're, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. mostly just used a, a render function in their class components. And that's really easy to move over to just return from the thing. And then I ripped out their class name library and used ours when needed. And there was some functionality that we just didn't need. Like I don't really need the, the a lot of stuff to be able to like disable a tab. Like if I need mm-hmm. that, we can just put it back in. But like we don't, I can't, we don't disable tabs ever. So didn't need that. Right. So I kind of got the chance to... I don't know, to reimagine it a little bit, but I'd say 80% of the code is the same and then broke up the CSS into how we do CSS and and then was able to totally restyle it how we would style it, not how they style it. So I used like none of their CSS pretty much. And that's a pretty dramatic change. I think that's for the shareable component like lifestyle that we're all a part of now. Um, uh, I think style is where it gets really tough, you know, like you want to ship with some default style, right? For example, flex row for all the bricks, you know, you want to ship with some default style, but the second you start providing style, you've provided kind of a heavy opinion, you know, like, are you like including styled components or CSS modules or what, you know, like, like, especially in React land. In this case, the only assumption was that they import the style sheet with Webpack, which that's not how we roll. So we didn't do it, but it was a vanilla style sheet. (laughs) So I could have, I could have just copied and pasted it into some global or something, but that's just not really how I like to roll either. So no, that's, I think that's tough. I, I think web components have this problem too, you know, um, I know view components do like, I just did a thing the other day, this is similar. I used a pagination component for an app that I'm building. And like, you know, I don't want to code a pagination component, right? Like surely somebody's done that. So I import this one. I spend the next like three days, like just reading docs. It's the most boring thing in my whole life. <laughs> so <laughs> It's all fine. I got through it, but like, I just was like reading docs, like what's the attribute to do this? And then like, how do I do this? And then none of the styles worked that from the like thing we had kind of out so i had to kind of marry the two like the undesigned one you know or un unwired up undynamic one to like this you know it was like i don't know it was just it was a lot of grunt work just to get like like i thought oh i'll save so much time pulling this off the shelf and then i still spent like three days on like trying to get the pagination all working you know so like figuring out how their api integrates into my whole system you know and then how can I paginate from the database from what they offer me, you know? Yeah. Um, what, so what was the final? Did you just like not use theirs? Just kind it of was, copy the it code? It was fine and it's good. Yeah. And and the nice thing is like they kind of automate the like ellipses, you know, like like client literally has like 600 pages of content on one view, you know? And, and it was just like, oh, well, that's a bummer. But they like paginate like give you the ellipses like in the middle there and you can say like how many on the side and how many in the middle, you know, that was all very cool. And I could like kind of program, just type in numbers and change that. Took me a while to figure that out, but I could. Um, But then, you know, what happens media queries. Oh crap. Like (laughs) I want to show different numbers at different viewports and like media, like it, it just became, becomes a bit of a, 
problem. Like when you're in like a view component to like add in a, a resize window resize, you know, but you can do it, mm. but it's just like, doesn't feel great, you know, but then mm. I did it. And then like, now I'm flipping some computed variable based on the window resize, you know? And so, or, or some whatever data yeah. variable, local data state just to like, Handle window that's resize. Funny. So in JavaScript, and, there's there's like media queries in JavaScript with whatever match media, but it, that doesn't that fires once. There's not like a watcher, right? Yeah, yeah. There's literally... not a watcher, so you have to like bind a watcher in. So I guess whatever in React hooks landed be like use whatever use effect resize observer or something. I don't know. So I yeah, and yeah then does resize observer work on the whole on the whole window? I guess it would, right? Yeah, yeah, or the component itself. So, so you're not watching, just, you're not literally watching a window dot resize event. I I am actually like. In, oh really? Um, don't you have to debounce it then? And you could, but I don't. But like, it's window <laughs> resize, and then it's like, just then it does like a if window matches, you know. So I'm trying to be like as quick as I can about it. I think where window resize gets a bad name is where you're trying to reposition and remove things on resize. So you're like calculating paints and stuff like that. Oh, I, I don't see. think like bit flipping a variable is really like the problem with window resize personally, but anyway, okay. but so then like, I just say like, okay, is it this big? Then well, I just said an is desktop because I was like, well, if this, <laughs> if this component needs it, then something else does. But then, you know, like, then I have to like pop is desktop into view X or whatever. And so it's fine. It's all working, but it, it, I, it just turned into like, I want to use this thing off the shelf to, and this is me. Cause I'm, I'm like Mr. Roll my own components, you know? And, and but I just was like, okay, I'm going to do the responsible thing and use code that already exists on the internet. And I just got very, I just was like, man, this is took me three days to do this. And it's done and I'm happy and it works, but like, it was not like a pop it off the shelf, open the package. N- now I'm playing GI Joe's. It was not that experience for me. You know what I mean? Right. That's what I'm curious about too, is that like, should I have tried harder to not rip these things apart and just use them as is? And then if the answer is, oh no, you're cool. I'm, like, I'm not really considering that anyway, but like, shouldn't web components be trying to get to that point? Like if, if you finalize these great tabs you're working on, Dave, I, I the point is to use them off the shelf, isn't it? Like you don't want to like rip them apart to use them because they should be doing all the good stuff internally without having to have to do that. Yeah. I mean, in theory they should be. And so I think like, I think they can, you know, I, I think where it gets weird though, in my experience with web components as building a site and, you know, we put in these tabs and, you know, the tabs like then enhance the content or whatever, but the client was using tailwind, you know, utilities. And so like, how do you use tailwind and progressive enhancement? You know, like it's possible obviously, but like, it was kind of hard to be like, and like traversing the shadow Dom, that's actually kind of an actual problem. Like how do you like change a component, change the shadow Dom or inject shadow Dom, but then on change. Now you like apply a whole new class set, you know, like you give them the, the tab appearance or whatever. It was pretty difficult. So we just wrote CSS. So, you know, I bailed out. Oh, you just bailed. Yeah. 
can you what, what's the what's the tailwindy answer is to be like well select inside but then use at apply or whatever yeah but yeah you'd have to kind of like really hijack <laughs> the shadow dom and you know you have to from the outside you'd have to kind of come through and or you know there's like the option to like roll your own component you can import that component and then like like just like javascript and then maybe modify it you know or you have to just clone it and and make a tailwind version or something like that i'm not as worried about it with web components as i would be here because i would like trust the web component to just i don't know just you i just have to have a higher level of like these things are already ready to go Mm -hmm. and you just use them and that's it and if you can't use them then don't use them yeah, and I think the idea is you you provide a little bit of style, you know, enough like from from a generic web component perspective. You you provide flex row for the tab bar, right? And maybe just like one rem of margin or something like that. And then you kind of bail out. And Jonathan Neal like a user a, agent style sheet almost. Like we just like do the bare minimum style. so it's not a problem and and then you bail out jonathan neal had the uh uh idea to like when you're authoring web components maybe use the where selector to like basically get zero specificity on your thing um and then people can kind of come through and style it i mean that's clever but it's like you already have to jump through such hoops to get in there to style anyway yeah (laughs) like like using parts and everything so yeah yeah doesn't really help you that much if they're yeah if you but, weren't you know, using maybe Shadow that Dom, maybe, maybe that is a best practice though is just you know you're you're saying i'm we're going to use where for our default styles and then you know just let people kind of whatever style from there so oh okay so tabs the unactive tab is hidden right that's a thing unactive is hidden yep and probably like even like display none hidden because it's like it shouldn't even be in the read you know the screen reader Mm -hmm. tree because it's like it will be once you activate the tab but we're trying to intentionally hide it because that's the point here in a way so use display none right but i i i was just reading this morning and like you know whatever i've been hearing about this for a while content visibility if you say dave div or whatever tab or something content visibility hidden it's hidden it's a lot like display none it behaves mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. similar to that, except it has this one caveat that it like it goes through the trouble of like rendering it, I think, and then and then hides it so that when you unhide it, content visibility visible, it's faster. OK, OK, interesting. So I wonder if that type of thing will become over time a best practice for something like tabs, if you expect the tabs to be highly interacted with. At the moment, I'm like, I don't really, like, think of activating a tab as something that's particularly slow. You yeah. know, like, it just goes, Bleh, and it's there. But I don't know. Maybe if you had some rural heavy content in there or something, then maybe that becomes a best practice. Interesting. That's not really its main use case. I think when people are talking about content visibility, at least so far these days, this is a very brand new thing, Chrome world only. That you say content visibility auto, and it's this like lazy loading for the whole DOM. 
You say yeah. like, I'm going to identify this below the fold stuff and say content visibility auto on it, meaning that the browser doesn't even bother to render it until it heuristically determines that you are about to see it, you know, like it's close yeah. to being a in the viewport and then it renders it just interesting. It doesn't see, it seems like some people are talking about it, but people don't seem to be, you know, taking it up in droves or anything, probably partially because there was some bad press for it when it rolled out that it had some accessibility problems, not to mention scroll bar problems. Like if you're used to a, you know, this website yeah. being having this long scroll bar to indicate how much content it have, if you don't even render the stuff below it, well, <laughs> Your scroll now, bar is all now wrong. You get some, you're going to fail your uh, cumulative layout shift. <laughs> when well, perhaps, it. yeah. As, and then as you scroll down, it's not like you scroll down a little bit and then it all pops in. It progressively loads in like lazy loading woodworks, meaning you get kind of a jittery scroll bar, which Alex mm-hmm. Russell has written about. And there are ways of combating this problem. But I think that was part of the bad press in the beginning was like, oh, God, way to roll out this feature and like, did anybody use it? <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I saw Jake Archibald like took the whole entire HTML spec and like turned it from like a 20 second render to like a One like, or sub yeah. millisecond. Yeah. Sub second render using content visibility, like on the section level or something like that. Cause you think of HTML, it's, you know, ginormous, right? Right. But there's apparently one a page on the internet that does it all in one go. <laughs> you know, it's mostly text, thankfully. Because I tried to use content visibility on my bookshelf on my website, um, yeah. which I thought like this is perfect because like you know it's broken up by years and you don't need to see all the years or all the years don't have to render at the same time. You know, yeah. I did not have good luck with it, man. It, it like did it actually thrashed my 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 like lighthouse scores. Um, oh, because. And I think it was cumulative. But what if you don't care about that? Like, did it feel good even though your score was bad? It did not feel good. It it did okay. not like it did not feel like I made my site faster, you know. And and mm. it could be because I am using this like blank SVG lazy loading technique. So like I I kind of have like a square for my um for my image assets to show up, and then I'm like. And and because they're books and they're not the same asset or same size, like I have to kind of do something clever. I basically have to like draw a div and put a thing in there. I like I'm using like an SVG to like lazy load all these images in. So okay, um, or or like to act as a placeholder, and then I re or whatever scroll intersection observer, and then I pop it off. You know, um. And so maybe I'm already doing enough to where it's not making a difference to unrender whole blocks of content. So I don't know. We'll see. I, I may try it again. I wonder if it will get better or not or what. Because it seems like, to me, it feels like l- image loading lazy, right? It's a thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of browsers support it. No brainer. Put it on every single image of your website. It's just a good idea. Why would you load an image that's not visible? Screw it. Just don't load it at all. What a great feature. You know, especially now that images are all these self-aware, and if you put width and height on them, even in a fluid environment, they reserve the space thanks to aspect ratio and all this stuff. It's not going to hurt your CLS. Awesome. Just great. Put it on everything. Why not put content visibility on everything, too? It's lazy loading for DOM elements. 
And even if you put it on everything above the fold, I'm, I'm saying I'm not I'm just saying theoretically in my brain, this is how it works. Wouldn't that be nice? Like and then the page renders it knows what's above the fold and it brings the stuff in. So even if it's content visibility auto, it should be fine. In practice, I understand it's all borked and not good, but it seems like the kind of thing like, why bother with all the trickery? Why not just put it on everything in a theoretical world where you fix it and it's not janky? I just keep seeing stuff like this. Like, you know, I read this article about images and all the stuff you should do. Lazy loading. Yeah, but now there's this new one. Have you seen this one? Image decoding equals async. And they're saying, oh, this, you know, this is a big one for, you know chilling out the cpu or gpu or whatever like why don't even bother decoding the image until later you know so you're not like whatever tying up the main thread or whatever i don't even know how to talk about it intelligently and the advice so far has been really scant it's just been like oh that's a new thing you put on your images it's good with no guidance like okay all my images or some of my images and if this is this panacea of good performance for images why aren't you just doing it browser why isn't it the default then? Why do I have to know about this? Why do I have to add crap to my HTML to take advantage of this performance thing when the guidance, if there isn't any, but it kind of seems like just use it? I don't know. Somebody from some browsers needs to take this one by the cojones and tell me what to do. <laughs> totally. I, I'm kind of with you. Um, why is this? If it's If it's something I should put on everything, why don't I... You know, like, I don't know what, why isn't it the default, you know, or like, what's the opposite of decoding async decoding sync, you know, like, yeah, that sounds kind of dangerous. Like I stopped my whole page to decode this image. <laughs> yeah, is that what's happening right now? And is it saying like, don't do it? I think, you know, may, I, have I heard whispers? Don't do it on your hero image. You want that to render fast? Okay. Well, I won't then if you tell me. Yeah. Just say, don't do this here, Dave. I think every docs blog post on web.dev should have a for Dave Rupert section. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Dave, here's how it works. Yeah. Behind the scenes stuff. That'd be good. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but how can somebody like be talking about this in an evangelist capacity and not have that occur to them? That it should that it should be accompanied by ed, actual advice. I would love it. I would. I would not to bust people, not to publicly audit people too much, because um, <laughs> that's always going around. Um, I, I would love like not just the hey, here's a cool new thing. I would love like here's here's when to use it, when not to use it. That's you know, like yeah, yeah. Rather than like. Go go build a hundred websites and figure it out yourself. You know, like maybe give me some tips, so. or even better, just do it. Um, let's do a uh, a little spot for Netlify that works in nicely to literally everything we talk about and do. I'm going to talk specifically about Netlify on demand builders, which is a fancy word, and I think it makes sense, and I think it's well named, but is also like really not that complicated. It's kind of like a cloud function that just like caches itself, you know, that like Mm -hmm. when you return and value to it, it will only run once it will run once and do its thing. And then the next time it gets hit, it will return from the cache and not run. Pretty simple concept. Pretty simple Uh, deal. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And part of the deal is then, Oh, you can run your 11D site and tell it, 
hey, these at this route, these like 500 pages, don't even build them ahead of time. Just wait till they come in. The URL gets hit, then it runs it. And then from then on, it's cached. But it just makes the build really efficient. And it's just, you know, makes computers do less work that they don't have to do. And so it's very clever, I think. Uh, Useful, but it's not just useful just for that. I think that's the main use case is like a website that only builds pages that it needs on the first time, which is like a classic old school web caching phenomenon. It's like not even a new idea at all. But that's one use case. Another use case is like a social media card. You know, like if you have, you know, CSS Tricks has tens of thousands of pages of content on it and I ran a build process, would I pre-generate tens of thousands of social media images on it? I mean, it's not a Jamstack site anyway, so no, I wouldn't. But let's say yours is, you know, why would you make that part of the build? Just make your social media images an on-demand builder. So they're only called when they're needed and then you're not, you know, wasting computer cycles and storage and all that stuff for nothing. Here's another use case for this. Alex you know, Revere in the Discord, uh, jokingly registered CSS tricks like with a Z dot com. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At first, he's like, you know what? I'm just going to put like 15 lines of fetch JavaScript on it and hit CSS tricks's JSON API to get the content. And I'll just plop article recent articles on the page just as a joke. It's actually kind of funny. Chrome renders this like warning when you go to the website that's like some attackers use <laughs> URLs that <laughs> look similar to other websites. Are you trying to actually go to CSSTricks.com? That's pretty funny. Yeah. Even though it's like a totally legit website with nothing nefarious on it at all. Anyway. And it's pretty clearly <laughs> a different website. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. Client side JavaScript. Fine. That's how so many websites work these days. It's just the way it is, you know, hit the API every time. But you'd think that they, there's no caching at all happening there. Every time you refresh that page or another user visits this, they got to hit my API to get content. So you're hammering that API, you know. I don't particularly block it. It's all well cached, I assume. You know, there's probably three layers of cache between that and the MySQL anyway, so I'm not that worried about it. But should I be the kind of site that's worried about it, I might even rate limit that. Be like, no, no, no. You can't just hammer my website. Look at it. Literally a, a thousand people went to CSSTricksZ.com like that. That would be kind of a problem. It would slow down and I mean, I don't know how mm. powerful that cache is. Maybe it would be fine, but it's generally a bad idea, especially because not all APIs are cached because they can't because they're returning real-time data or whatever. So and then, so I just like jokingly poke Alex and be like, dude, <laughs> you should server-side render it. You know, why would you do this client-side? That's so, you know, you know, we talked about last week. It's starting to be a lot more in vogue to bring this into the build and bring this into mm-hmm. server-side mm-hmm. rendering. So here's how you could server-side render it. You use like a Netlify function to do it. So that way your cloud function returns the HTML for the page. But your cloud function is, you know, runs in Node. It still just runs a fetch, turns it into HTML and runs it. That's better for users in a way because then it's not client-side JavaScript running. By the time they get the HTML, it's already there, ready to go probably a little faster, you know, but then Mm -hmm. every single request runs that cloud function, meaning that every single request is all of a sudden on Alex's dime, not spread out to the users. It like consolidates the cost, you know, with a little joke site like this, 
it's going to fit comfortably on Netlify's free tier, I'm sure. But should it right. get popular one day, you're going to get overage charges and stuff because you're hammering that cloud function, which is running over and over and over and over and over and over and hitting the API mm-hmm. and has the same problem with not caching the API. Enter on-demand builders, a trivial change to that cloud function that just wraps the thing in a builder function pretty much. And all of a sudden, it only hits it once, you know? It only, you it hits the API once, caches the result, and every other person that hits that page then just gets served the cached results. So you've made this server-side rendered and super efficient, which would be true for any API that you hit. It's very smart. Then how do you break that cache? Well, that's on you. So does it add a little technical debt? Sure. I think Alex wired up a thing that's just like a if this, then that, or Zapier or a GitHub action that runs on a cron or something that just tells Netlify to rebuild, which will clear the cache. And there you go. That's it. So that was a long spot, but I think that was a cool journey. And Alex wrote all this up in a blog post I'll link to. Yeah. And, and the, the fix is kind of incredible. Instead of exports, hand, exports.handler equals async function, it's exports.handler equals builder, builder. parenthesis, async function. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, you just wrap it. Just wrap nice. down a builder file. That's so great. Anyway. All right, uh, let's get to at least one question here on the question yeah, go podcast. For it, um, Jimmy Davis writes in, do you guys typically group your app media queries uh, together or just spit them out all over the place whenever you need one? I used to lump them all together at the end of a document, but these days the existence of grid and specifically grid template columns, I've been burping them out right there in the middle of my CSS. Um, I also used to be more concerned about very specific media queries, say, uh, 1200 plus 90, 60, uh, 600, 300, whatever. Um, and adding all those adjustments into those, uh, now I'll literally resize the window, a particular element, whatever. It looks weird. Drop a media query in, um, maybe not very dry, but grid makes it so much faster than yielded days. So what do you do? Do you, you just, Mm. you know, remember this used to be so common question on CSS tricks because it used to be the concern back in the day we used to get this question all the time was about I've looked at the 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 CSS that my SAS is producing because SAS allows you to nest media queries and nesting media queries is very satisfying I find it satisfying today I love it (laughs) it's a nice way (laughs) to write CSS it does not group them it just, like Jimmy says, it burps them out right as soon as it can in the processed CSS, meaning that there it's repeated a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. It doesn't make any attempt to be like, oh, I, I, I'm going to find all of them that are the 1200 breakpoint and just group them all together and put it at the bottom of the style sheet or something. It can't do that because of the nature of CSS, because of the cascading source order issues of CSS. And so our answer classically on Shop Talk Show would be like, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. It's not affecting the parse time of the CSS, maybe a little, but so, so trivially. Please do not worry about it. And it's not affecting the over-the-wire size of the file because of how gzip works. It's incredibly efficient. So the answer was, please do not worry about it. Tokenized. Like the repetition gets tokenized. At media, min with 300 pixels, we'll we'll just send over the wire as X. And that applies to you too, Jimmy. Burp them out, buddy. Don't matter. I would say burp them out. Yeah, I mean, if it, it... 
if it makes your team make more sense, you know, I think that early in the days of responsive web design, there was this idea, you know, you'd serve separate style sheets. And so grouping was maybe effective, you know, heck, I mean, when responsive web design came out, I was still authoring like one CSS file. It was maybe 1200 lines long, but I was still working in one single CSS file. So um, maybe it was a little easier to do back then, but and you choose your DX like maybe out. grouping. If grouping felt good, because you'd be like, here's all the styles that relate to that breakpoint, because you like it that way. Well, then do that. Oh, but it sounds like it's easier for you to burp them out. That's cool. And you were saying also like why why consistently use twelve hundred all over the place because. It could be that it actually breaks better at eleven seventy in on this particular thing, or or nine twenty eight is a good breakpoint for this one. Yeah, who cares? Just yeah. do it. And this is of course related to container queries too. Once we have container queries, we're actually authoring them more so in our production projects. Those are all going to be all kinds of random numbers. Yeah, so there will be no That's grouping. Be... Yeah, I think for me, there's like a. <laughs> You know, I've kind of started going back to like 1024, 768. I used to not do that at all, but I'm just like, whatever. I can nudge it later and I never do, but like, I'm just, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like, or I'll do like increments of 200, 600, 800. Sure, that looks good. All right, next. What's next? You know, there's some um, predictability to common breakpoints that you know when it hits that you can go look around at that size and like, verify that things are okay whereas if you a hundred percent use absolutely random numbers all over the place it makes that kind of like quick spot checking of what's happening with the page a lot harder you know you have to whatever that's just how i feel about it yeah no i i think there's i i love i love it in the component when i author sas though i do actually try to do just my media queries at the bottom of my SAS file under like one tier deep. I don't try to do like media queries, like four tiers, like nested, nested, nested. So maybe oh, I'm still sure. doing it at a component level, but anyway, yeah. you know, there's, then there's like, you know, breakpoint functions and stuff like that. I've kind of been getting into that, but I, even that I'm just kind of like, I don't know, just type a number. So um, everyone yeah. knows what the number means. So. If you have to change it, you can grep it. That's my that's my professional opinion. So, anyway. good question, Jimmy. Please uh, keep them coming. I really appreciate that. Um, I'd like to shout out. There's a, a nice podcast I think called Design Details. They reached their four hundred show milestone. Congratulations. Hey, congratulations! I listen to it off and on, and I think you'll do a good job with that. Number four hundred was a episode called "Is Software Ever Finished?" That I think they did a good job of. It was only twenty five minutes. You know, they did a good job of of tackling, and it just made me think, 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 you know, about how they they really went into how software is just this very predictable cycle of, you know, a great software product being released that's so simple and people flock to it and they think it's, you know, so the bee's knees on how good it is. And if it achieves some level of success, it'll grow, they'll hire people, they'll, you know, take investment, whatever. I mean, this is just very generic terms I'm talking here. It doesn't even have to follow this exact path. But the temptation then will be to add and add, work on it, work on it, work on it, mm -hmm, not just fix mm -hmm. stuff, but add things to it. Because the more you add to it, the slightly wider your user base can be. Maybe you can hit a whole new vertical if you add this feature to it or something. So the temptation is add, 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 and that will never stop until it gets to the point where 
the software has lost its simplicity and that even if it's your top goal in life, you know, the more you add to it, it's inevitable that it becomes a more complex product. And maybe that's good. Maybe you make a lot more money and your team grows and the influence of your software grows and everything is great until that day comes where a new software product comes on the market. That's simple. It doesn't have as many stupid buttons as your website does. It's a lot simpler and people flock to it because it's, you know, it's better Remember for their old chat app. How stupid. Well, yeah. try new chat app. It doesn't do half the things you need it to do, but it's less. It's fast. We focused on like Figma versus Photoshop kind of stuff. You know, like there was probably a day where Photoshop was simple. Those days are long gone. Figma arrives and Sketch arrives and it's very, very simple and people flock to it because of how nice it is for the jobs we need to do. And yet those companies are doing very well and growing and making their software much more complex. It's already happening to them. And someday there'll be new design software that comes along and it's simple and nice and refreshing and lots of people start to use it and they become the old complex dogs that people reject uh, i hate new things they're taking my monies my bucket <laughs> my bucket of monies no that's interesting i'm curious i'm gonna listen some good good pick chris <laughs> all right we should wrap it up we are kind of at time here uh thank you dear listener for downloading this in your package your sure be sure start our favorite up uh that's what people find out about the show thank you for listening follow us on twitter at shop talk show for tens of tweets a month and um join us on the discord the discord uh shop or patreon.com slash shop talk show um yeah chris you got anything else you'd like to say yeah shop talk show.com <laughs>